Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you! Welcome home. Hi, genre junkies. It's Horror Night. They'll also file this one under horror, sci-fi, speculative fiction. Yep. We are, of course, talking about... And I'm Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sandra. Um, We are, of course, talking about tonight, Tender is the Flesh by Augustina Basturica. Scott, how have you been? What have you been enjoying? Share something with the people before we dive into this novel. Well, what I want to bring to the table today is not necessarily something I have been enjoying, but uh, I've been looking very forward to the Halo TV series. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, an alternate timeline. It's not exactly canon. I'm okay with that. I'm down with that kind of thing. Yeah. I did not like that first episode. He got mad. There's, and for a whole lot of reasons, um... I'm very disappointed. There's a lot of people out there who thought it was fine, who, you know, had fun with it. I didn't even find it to be fun. I, I, I'm very disappointed. Am I going to watch multiple more episodes? Yes, absolutely. Well, it might turn. Yes. Um, but it, that was a, that was a big disappointment for me. As you know, I'm a huge Halo fan. Yes. And, um, I just kind of wanted something that was fun and, and I did not find it to be very fun. It's very sad. It's very sad when a disappointment happens with something you're looking forward to. Maybe at some point as you watch the series and whether you like it or not, you can maybe expand on that a little bit for people about what's not working or or what they do to turn it around for other other Halo people. And I think ultimately, I'll I'll just say this. uh, This was a long time in development and is also being produced by a lot of... um, old school television producers mm. and there there were some things about this we're not used to watching pilots anymore right. basically a lot of these shows that are streaming online they're developed all in one go so you don't get that that pilot syndrome with first episodes like like you used to right this kind of could be pilot syndrome there's a lot happening all at once like just a whole big like rush to get to the character development that they're trying to do that um you know maybe maybe it's ju- maybe it's just that and maybe it'll it'll get into its groove a little bit faster wow well for me i have been unintentionally absorbing a lot of cannibal content <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's one of those things. Like I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and stuff, and suddenly I hit upon a whole bunch of like cannibal episodes, and then there was this book, um, a few movies <laughs> that I wasn't like aware would have cannibalism, then did. <laughs> so I just this topic is very on my mind, very on my mind, and it's just kind of like, okay, I guess we're I guess we're doing cannibals. I, I mean, cannibalism might be the new zombies, which is kind oh. of which is kind of the new cannibalism, I guess. But cannibalism does seem to be um, a trend right now. It does because it it has a lot of societal illusions and ties, mm-hmm. just like zombies do. I'm fine with this trend. I I do find cannibalism. I mean, it's like it's like the biggest taboo. So it's like, how can people not be? grossly fascinated by it and also as a metaphor because it's like it's like the biggest taboo 
Speaking of cannibalism. Let's talk about this book, shall we? And that's that's not a spoiler. <laughs> um, so this book has exploded. It has so many people talking about it for good, for bad. I don't think anybody could say anything poor about Augustina's writing, but we'll get into that in a minute. So uh, let me let me tell you about Tender is the Flesh, a novel written by Augustina Bastarica and translated from the Spanish by Sarah Moses. <clears throat> Working at the local processing plant, Marcos is in the business of slaughtering humans, though no one calls them that anymore. His wife has left him, his father is sinking into dementia, and Marcos tries not to think too hard about how he makes a living. After all, it happened so quickly. First, it was reported that an infectious virus has made all animal meat poisonous to humans. Then governments initiated the transition. Now eating human meat, special meat, is legal. Marcos tries to stick to numbers, consignments, processing. Then one day he's given a gift, a live specimen of the finest quality. Though he's aware that any form of personal contact is forbidden on pain of death, little by little he starts to treat her like a human being, and soon he becomes tortured by what has been lost and what might still be saved. So that's just, that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. This is not a long novel. It is 224 pages. So not, in my opinion, is a word wasted. Um, This book is complete all out obsession to me. One of my favorite things I've ever read. I think this should be taught in schools. I think people forget that a lot of books that deal with cannibalism and meat industry in general, um, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, oh, gosh, so many more, um, you know, Soylent Green, hello, like so many things have been read and like consumed by students and, and Logan's Run, the idea of exterminating parts of population. And um, I think this should be required reading. I think it should absolutely be required reading. Um, it's brilliant and it's brutal and it's beautiful. I think you're going to be surprised by my experience score with the book. Okay. Um, obviously, this book was difficult for me. Yes. But yes. this book is a page turner. Yes. I... I <laughs> pun not intended devoured this book. <laughs> uh it is not easy it is it is challenging it is it is emotionally draining uh i would almost classify myself obsessed with it as i have not eaten meat since reading this book you i don't know if you actually noticed that sandra oh i noticed <laughs> i have not eaten meat since reading this book and so in that way i'm actually it's it's sticking in my head and obsessed in in an obsession level but reading the book my experience was an absolute page turner yeah and and don't get me wrong this book is hard to read there are passages where i visibly cringe and where I was like, you know, took like a big like <sighs> sigh because <laughs> it was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I but, but it's all to a point. I think what makes it even more difficult is there are there are scenes, there are choices, there are writing styles that challenges you in a reader in ways that you might not expect. Uh, it challenges the way that you view characters in the book mm. regularly. Mm. Uh I would say there's no one who is purely good or purely bad, maybe purely bad. Um, but there's also there's also things that the author does to challenge your own feelings in the book. There's there's scenes of of 
righteousness where you don't necessarily feel right. There's scenes of titillation where you really don't want to be. That's such a funny word. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it's, it is challenging in very many ways and not just challenging in the book. It challenges you at the same time. It's a very visceral book. And Augustina has said in interviews, it was a visceral experience to write. Um, oh, boy. I mean, it's almost like you could do a whole podcast and just go chapter by chapter on this book. And I kind of want to. I'm not going to lie. Um, and just kind of dissect every part of it. One thing I think is you've got to read it. If you're at all like intrigued here, you've got to read it. And it's very interesting because people interpret the ending of this book in different ways. And um, I, I don't think it's um, there's a right way or a wrong way. I think it's, it's open to interpretation. But I think that's very interesting. Um, this book has a lot to say. And she says it in beautiful prose, but very simplistic. Everything is very sanitized, if you will, because yes. like that's what makes content like this really disturbing is it's just delivered as facts. It's point blank. It's um, not dressed up in any way as we're writing a spooky scene. It's just, this is the world we live in. And as we have a tendency to do as humans, especially in part of the world that Scott and I live in, we have a tendency to just normalize everything and just accept everything. Great example of that would be school shootings. We've just normalized it. We just, oh, it's another school shooting. Like, you know what I mean? It's the cost of doing business. Right, right. And other things such as that. And it also draws attention to, you know, there's just nasty little things all over the world. I mean, look at the garment industry, for example, and obviously the meat industry. And there's just nasty things that happen. And everybody, and myself included sometimes, I'm not perfect. God knows. We turn a blind eye for convenience's sake. Oh, this is the thing I want. I don't care how I have to get it. I don't care the repercussions. I don't care the steps involved. It's something that I would like to have. And I, I would like that now. And there's complications to that. Yeah. This book doesn't beat anything into you. I think it. it <clears throat> the author allows you to take from this what um what you will mm. and when it comes to <clears throat> when it comes to the 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 parts in this book the majority of this book that has to do with frankly the meat industry i think there's th there's there's three kinds of people in this world uh when it comes to the meat industry there are those who are completely willfully ignorant of everything that happens in the production of their food and neither of us fall into that category um there are people who understand appreciate and do educate themselves as far as how it is produced but also keep a level of emotional psychological and intellectual distance from it uh like develop a certain sense of naivety hmm. towards it. Uh, I would consider myself in that category. I think there's another category too, but maybe you're going to say it. When I will say in all three of these categories, there are both meat eaters and not meat eaters. Okay. I think there are people who are ignorant, who still do, who are who yeah, are willing. vegetarian vegans. There are people in my category who understand and have made their decision and are like, I eat meat, but there are people who are like, I know what happens. I don't want to know anymore. I know enough mm. to just not involve myself. Yeah. And then the third category, the people who know very deeply and continually, yeah, this is this is a very much uh, 
this is very much me putting it into these words, continuously subject themselves to the horrible reality Mm -hmm. of what happens. And there are people who eat meat who are in that category, and there are people who don't. Right. Um, you would fall into that category, <laughs> in my opinion. Right. Um, so what I what I was thinking of is I've talked I talk about him a lot. I absolutely love Michael Pollan, and he wrote a wonderful book. He's written wonderful books about food, but including the omnivore's dilemma. And um, if you eat meat, I highly suggest you read it and you take his sound advice. So um, to put our cards on the table, as it were. So Scott is a omnivore. I am. <laughs> Though not recently. <laughs> not recently. Yeah. Um, I I eat plant-based is the way I like to word it. Almost everything I eat is plant-based. Um, I would love to cut out any animal byproduct. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult for health reasons, too. Yeah. It's, it's um, you know, there's a little bit of ableism with being able to cut out all meat and meat products. Um. I do occasionally eat fish, but it is, I I don't consider myself a pescatarian. Maybe I don't like to put labels on things. Yeah. It's kind of like my thing. And um, when I eat a fish, I've grown up eating fish. I'm Finnish. We eat a lot of fish. <laughs> um, I've cooked it. I've killed it. I've cleaned it. I know exactly what goes into the process of it. And when I decide to eat some, it is a spiritual connection i'm very thankful for it and um, i feel i feel it i feel a weightiness to eating that and it's not something i like to experience a great deal so it's not something i do a great deal does that make sense yes it does um but as much as humanly possible i want nothing to suffer for my food and this is humanly possible for me yeah and my my situation and as for me like i you know this book has made me kind of rethink some of my, you know, some of my choices and decisions when it mm-hmm. comes to eating meat. I, I still intend to be an omnivore. Yeah. Um. I, I don't think that they're, you know, they're, you're not, you're not going to hear judgment from us collectively on what you choose to it's do. It's complicated. But I think you you said something about this earlier. I do think that this should be required reading. I think that this is an important book, not just because of the realities of the meat industry and using a um, using a, a horrifying equivalence to really bring home why it's you know in a lot of ways terrible. Yeah. Uh. But also because of the societal comments oh, in yes. this book. Yes. Uh the you know, when it comes to classism, when it comes to uh when it comes to society, yeah, when it comes to government. Culture. There's a lot. When it comes to just even family relationships. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and you said classism, and I had forgotten to mention that, too, when I said that, you know, dietary choices are, they're informed by ableism, and they're also informed by class and financial things. So Particularly I, yeah. veganism. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it is difficult to be healthy and vegan. You can't, you can't be a for, healthy- For a good amount of people. Ve- it, it, it's very difficult to be a healthy vegan on a budget. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and over here at Chana Junkies, we are always on a budget. <laughs> okay, well, so so moving on to, I actually have some quotes from an article that Augustina gave, um, and I would love to share those in the spoiler section, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give it all out there. But um, 
and wonderful article she did for the Irish Times that I found really fascinating. So, mm, funny how to pick an audience for this one. Because, I mean, I would, I mean, it's general because I want it to be something that's read as required reading. Um, However, I know that people will not be able to stomach this book, literally. However, that makes me feel complicated because I think of the messages and I think of animals in the agricultural industry and I'm like, well, then don't stomach that either. You know what I mean? I guess that's where a little bit of my my bias comes out is because it's like, yeah, if you can't stand the idea of reading about these things happening, then don't participate in them either. I agree. I think it's complicated because the the who should read this like yeah. i'm i'm going to come down and 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 put my shouldisms on you <laughs> is mass everyone should be forced to on the other hand um yes this was a page turner for me this was really difficult for me um this was you know we ha- sandra and i had a little bit of a discussion that you know Sometimes, a lot of times when I read books, the reason why I love genre fiction is because I get messages from it, but I'm also looking for an escape. And this book is not an escape. I wouldn't put myself in the genre junkies appeal group for this book, but I'm going to split the difference and call it general appeal. It's certainly more than niche. This is not just for horror fans. Oh, definitely. Um, I could maybe even be convinced to go into broad, mm. but I, I, I feel pretty comfortable in general. A lot of people, a lot of people will enjoy this book as much as, you know, it's kind of air quotes on enjoy. Yeah. But uh, like, if you really, really enjoy creative inventive horror fiction like this is this is up your alley and if you're looking to be challenged and looking for something to expand your thoughts this is also for you yeah so i guess we're gonna have to kind of leave it at that it's it's difficult because of our own biases to really put a finger on this but at the end of the day we do encourage you to read it yeah big time (laughs) so so do so do that do that then come back and join us in the spoilers section and um we'll give a little bit of triggers at the top of the episode but let me just let me just put it out easily okay this is about people eating people. So if you don't, <laughs> so if you're triggered by the idea of that, you're triggered by the idea of chewing and digesting. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously that's going to come up. So let's just, yeah. just know that. <laughs> so, but otherwise we'll get a little more specific in the spoiler section and I will gush about how much I love this book and how much I love Augustina. Hey, bookworm buddy, don't forget subscribe rate and review and while you're at it find us on instagram at genre junkies okay so talking about triggers there's sexual content in this book and the issue of consent is going to be at the forefront of your mind this is not black and white clear-cut consent but it is i mean it's it's hard to read at times it's very hard to read yeah um because there's a the knowledge of does somebody have an informed decision that they're making or not? Probably not. There's a power struggle. There's a lot of uncomfortable um, topics around sexuality with this book. Yes. Um, I would also say this is kind of a newer trigger for me, so I'm going to include it. Uh, the 
the removal of one's humanity um, is a is actually kind of a trigger for me. So I'm going to include it as a trigger. There's also somebody who's suffering with um, dementia in this book, loss of a parent, which can be difficult um, for a lot of people to to get through. So know that going in that that's going to be a factor in the story. Also loss of an infant. So thanks for joining us for all those triggers. And just really quickly, I want to say that those are all very important points of the story. They are not the whole story, but they're all important factors of the story. That makes sense. So I wouldn't say that Augustina did any of those triggers to shock, alarm, or upset anybody. I would say they're included specifically to be part of the conversation of this story. They're pointed and meaningful and deliberate. So Sandra, were you surprised by my experience score? I'm not, because this is a fabulously well-written book, and I can see how anybody, even if you're trying to DNF this, would have to be like, how in the hell is this going to play out? Like, (laughs) (laughs) because it's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. I've, uh, I've given so many uh, struggle scores to horror books yeah. along this line that I was surprised myself by how much of a page turner it was, despite me sweating and wanting to throw it across the room half of the time. We become very invested in this story. We become very invested in our main character, Marcos's life and what is going to happen. Um, we know intimate details about him and he's struggling. And it's like, you just have to know <laughs> like where this yeah. is going. Especially because it starts off and he is kind of like it, what feels like the last sane person, if you will. Like <laughs> yes. he's following along with it, but he's he's having a really tough time. Yeah. But and not because he is changing, right. just because in his just in his person, he does some things that are suddenly like un in my take forgivable like mm-hmm. like i cannot understand how to you know how to balance that oh this is the person in this world who recognizes that all of this is complete and utter horror yeah but then but then has sex with this has sex with this human who is um doesn't really have rights yeah um, and 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 again, like I said, we're not even sure that this person can give informed consent, and they are his prisoner. I mean, technically, there's times when she could have run off, but I mean, she wouldn't because where where would she go? What would she do? Right? Like, I mean, she is a prisoner, and that is wrong. She's That's been not conditioned okay. since the moment she was born. Oh to yes, be and cattle. Yes, and still, while he's doing these insidious things there you're still seeing sides of him that you care about throughout the book i was very affected by how he reacted to the loss of his son and how everybody was so concerned about cecilia like this had no effect on him Mm -hmm. and it broke him and i had so much compassion for him in that moment because i mean nobody can understand what a parent goes through unless you go through that yourself and and then she's gone 
And so then he's going to deal with this alone while he is the sole supporter of his giving his dad a good end of life care. I mean, this is huge stuff. And Marcos is just on his own. And um, even though I was mad at him and I couldn't forgive him for things, I still had empathy for him. It's a people are people have layers. (laughs) (laughs) There's a there's such a selfishness in all of the characters of this book, which I think is. Yeah. You know, I think is one of the author's intentions. Oh, yes. Uh, Cecilia also doesn't care about how he's feeling about the situation. No, it's no one does. all about her. Yeah. Um, it, the idea of, hey, well, we can't eat animal meat anymore, so we're just going to go ahead and eat humans is a selfish choice. Yeah. Like, I'm still going to have meat. Absolutely. And then kind of like the way the tide turns and suddenly it's very bad to not eat meat. You know, the government recommends you eat your meat. And it it reminds me of uh, the way the dairy industry in kind of the 80s and early 90s really came out. I mean, even probably before that, but where they really came out swinging with you need to drink milk your you bones are going to disintegrate if you oh, don't it's just you're, not an option if you don't give kids milk in school and at home you're setting them up for a death sentence and it's um it's false and the dairy demonstrably industry, false yeah, and the dairy industry is not nice and happy like we saw on an everything is terrible clip where there which is we shout out to everything is terrible but um where they talked about how cows like to give us their milk they like to be milked and it's like for god's sake this was this propaganda machine mm-hmm. um so i want to start injecting some of these points from the the Irish Times article that um, Augustina gave. Although my book contains clear criticism of the meat industry, I also wrote the novel because I've always believed that in our capitalist, consumerist society, we devour each other. We phagocyte each other in many ways and in varying degrees. Human trafficking, war, precarious work, Modern slavery, poverty, gender violence are just a few examples of extreme violence. Um, and sorry, I just, I, I've never said that word out loud. Phagocyte? Phagocyte? I don't know that word. F A G O C Y T E. I feel like I'm in a spelling bee. I F-A-G-O-C-Y-T-E. don't know that word. Yeah. Um, well, I it would be irresponsible of me to not define it for you, so hold on. A type of cell within the body capable of engulfing and absorbing bacteria and other small cells and particles. One of the, just one of those words I've never seen written out. So uh, obviously that is well illustrated in this book, to say the least, um, because she touches on all of those societal ills and the idea of how humans devour one another without necessarily needing to physically eat one another. Um it's almost like I feel I don't want to be gauche and too heavy handed with it, but it's right there. It's the message. It, that is ultimate. Yes, it is. I mean, think about, I mean, we don't even have to talk about the 0.1% or the 1%, but I mean, let's just talk about the way that society is built. People, you know, earn their, their, their mansions and their, their lifestyles on the backs yeah. of other people. Hundred percent. I mean, you not so much, but you know, I I I work for a regular corporation. You know, I help support the big people. Now, 
I'm not saying anything about the particular company that I work for, but it's, it, you know, that is the way that capitalism is built. Yeah, I, I mean, this is something we've talked about. And one of the ways that I was raised is uh, teetering off the grid in a lot of aspects. But, you know, one of the things I was taught from childhood is you're always indebted to someone in our society. You are like constantly in debt to someone. And it's really disturbing how deep that goes and how true that is. Um, and I mean, like, there's a lot of choices we make even in consumerism. Like, everybody has a smartphone. Do you think smart... We all know Apple is, you know, got a lot of problems, but you think other smartphones aren't unethically made... There's no ethically made cell phone that I'm aware of. They're really... There isn't one that I am aware of either. Or other technological project product. There's nothing from from uh, dirt and air to finished product yeah. that is clean from beginning right. to end. Right. A farmer just plants a chip in the ground <laughs> and it just grows organically. Um, so I want to touch on the vegetarianism because um, uh this is obviously something close to my heart. And I think she worded this beautifully in this article. I want to make clear that I am not on a crusade to convert carnivores to vegetarianism. I never meant to write a vegan pamphlet. I, tr <laughs> I tried to write the best novel I could possibly write without trying to convince anyone of anything, because in my opinion, fanaticism is another form of violence. Despite the fact that I am actually a vegetarian, meat is also part of my identity, and I am part of a society that eats meat and unflinchingly accepts animal cruelty with the same brutal indifference shown towards vulnerable groups such as the poor, indigenous populations, and women. We are in a country that also murders its women. There is one femicide every 18 hours and there are no statistics for death related to clandestine abortions since in Argentina, it is not a crime. Um, so it's a great parallel that she draws there. I, I want to emphasize uh, a point that I made earlier is that this book I, she succeeds in not, uh, in not, she succeeds in allowing the reader to make their own decisions. Right. I don't feel like I was being uh, lectured to or talked down to. I mean, she certainly has a viewpoint, and she's and she certainly has opinions on it. But um, I felt that it was it was written in a way like I don't feel guilty. Mm. Uh, for choosing to still be an omnivore after this book. You don't feel like she's shaking a finger at you. Exactly, yes. Yeah. It's not an admonishment. It's um, all the horrible things that the special meat <laughs> goes through, and you love that they have a term for it, special yeah. meat goes through, is what actual animals go through. Yeah. There's nothing There's nothing special or new about what happens in this book. It's all real, real horror. Yeah. And you should make informed decisions about your food. It's very important to make informed decisions about your food if you have any option to do so. Um, funny little shout out. Um, when Marcos is with the kids and they're playing a game called Exquisite Corpse. I caught that. Yeah, I just, I clapped my little hands in extreme horror glee. <laughs> uh, I just want to touch on a couple of specific points in the book. What did you think of the Church of Immolation? I, I it's so believable. Yes, it's it so completely believable, and especially uh, in a you know as is hinted very strongly at in a government that is in support of 
people dying so that there is not overpopulation. Oh, yes. It is absolutely believable that something like that would be propped up and supported. Governments all over the world would just love to get rid of their poor um, or find a way to make the poor a commodity for them. That has been going on since the beginning of human history, civilization, as far as I know. Um, And it's like... (laughs) I think it's very interesting the amount of disdain they all have for these church members. I mean, and probably because they dress it up and they have such bravado and they're just going to the scavengers. Mm-hmm. And they, it, it's, it's, you know what it is, is it's a little bit of, it's a, it is, it's, it's a tiny hop, skip and a jump, but uh, it, it's, it's kind of an allegory for the people who are in that first category I talked about of having just willful ignorance of yeah. what's in the meat industry. Like it's glorified. Like, Oh, oh it is. The, it's divine. Look at the ranchers and you know, the cow hands and you know, they, it's romantic. They, it, it's romanticized. It, yes. And in a lot of um, different, like I know for sure Christian circles, it's in the Bible that you eat meat. It's inexcusable to not. Yeah, it's it is a uh, uh, yeah. Um, can we talk about my favorite chapter of the book, which is chapter four, part two? <laughs> Specific, I know, and that is when we meet Erlit and the game preserve. So for once, <laughs> somebody in this damn book is talking sense <laughs> when you meet Erlit. Erlit is disturbing in a way <laughs> I can't fully grasp. But my favorite character, by far, I read this chapter, and I reread this chapter, and then I reread it today, um, because he is showing his monstrous face instead of hiding it. He um, owns it, and I was refreshed to see that in this book. Like, I mean, there's even the part when, you know, he takes the potential new hires, and they're eating baby to celebrate somebody having a baby yeah um oh my god all the parts about the baby was just fucking heartbreaking by the way but um he's talking about how he's opened it up for celebrities who are basically in debt yeah uh and i could see like a celebrity is being canceled or something too during this that um they can go and be hunted and the duration of their stay you have to laugh because this seems so fucking real only it would probably be a reality show um this seems so freaking real and he says you know and then they they get money i pay off their debt and he's like so marco says so they're willing to die because they owe money there are people willing to do atrocious things for a lot less cavalier like someone hunting someone who's famous and eating them um And, uh, I mean, he just puts it right out there. And they go on. Does this pose a moral dilemma for you? Do you find it atrocious? He asks. Not at all. The human being is complex. And I find the vile acts, contradictions, and sublimities characteristic of our condition astonishing. Our existence would be an exasperating shade of gray if we were all flawless. But then why do you consider it atrocious? Because it is. Because... But that's what's incredible, that we accept our excesses, that we normalize them, and we embrace our primitive essence. Finally, someone in this book was talking sense. <laughs> I don't like it, but let's put it out there. But be real. Let's not let's not make a facade or or a yeah. Or it's oh, it's okay. Or let's dress it up with the meats all tainted, so we need to do this. Um, 
part of Erlet also with his justifications when they're eating the singer, he says, he says to Marcos, because Marcos is avoiding the finger dish at the moment. You have to respect what's being served, Cavalier. Every dish contains death. Think of it as a sacrifice that some have made for others. Ugh. I am not. I would in, in this world, I would not be an Erlet. I would be the vegan weirdos they talk about. But I, I just appreciate that he's out there and he's. You got to respect the hustle, I guess. He's capitalizing it. He's saying the honest truth and he's speaking to it. And he is um, not hiding his own atrociousness. He says everyone's atrocious and I'm not excused from that. Something that she does a really good job of in this book um, that is, you know, upon introspection, even more effective than than it seems at first is every like every time you start to normalize what's happening. And that's that's point number one. Throughout the book, you start to become a little bit desensitized yes. to what is happening. Right. And she escalates it just a little bit to keep that, oh, wait a minute. Why was I feeling okay all of a sudden? This is totally not okay. Right, because we're getting it normalized for us as well. Because, they, because until the final moments of the book there was there was almost a level where like my brain started to accept what was happening not to say i would ever be okay with eating humans that's not my point but it became it became less horrifying as it went on right because we get used to it in some degree like it wasn't surprising me when we find out his sucky awful sister is keeping a quote-unquote head in the house and bragging about the elitism of the death by a thousand cuts method i she was very unlikable for multitude of reasons um namely that she's such a hypocrite but it's like ah because that's what people do or back at the game preserve talking about how you can go to a place where you can have sex with a sex worker and then also have the option to eat them it's like, yes, I am not surprised by that in this world. Um, when we start right off the gate at the tannery, I guess you expect everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's why cannibalism is kind of the final taboo. Yeah. Because once you resort to that and you normalize it and you accept it, where where is the line ever drawn again? A anything that you try to draw is um, hypocritical. Yeah. Uh, and, and these people do it all the time. They do it all the time. Um, I was worried about that too. Like when somebody you love dies, like, yeah, you got to stick with that body. Yeah. <laughs> and even that, I was half expecting there to be some sort of like, you know, kind of switcheroo goes in the door and there's fire and then they give you a thing of ashes, but no. you know, they just slide it out the back door and there, I mean, a lot of the places book, probably do. Yeah. The book doesn't really go in. It doesn't really do that, but it's totally believable that it would happen. Yeah. Um, can we talk about that ending? Yes. So there is a multitude of wonderful, wonderful book in between all of this. Um, and we just don't have the time to touch on every single aspect. But let us do talk about the ending, the much, much discussed ending of this book. I read the ending Mm -hmm. uh, in much the same way as I described as the book constantly escalating 
because as the reader, I was constantly normalizing. Mm-hmm. You know, the point when he does impregnate the head that he has in the... Jasmine. Yeah. when The, the point when he does impregnate Jasmine and bring her into the house and create this, this farce of a home life mm-hmm. is the point when he starts to slip into what I consider to be the madness of this world. Mm. And there's still plenty of other things that are that are likable and relatable to that character. Or at least after empathetic. That, after that point. Yeah. But that's the point when it, it slips. And this may be a simplistic reading of it, but at the end of the day, um, I feel like Marcos just succumbs to to this world, just like all of us normalize. Eventually normalize the world that we live in, which is mm-hmm. normalize excuse. Yeah. Um participate in. I am I think we're kind of on the same wavelength with the ending. For me, um, you know, uh the the idea here is that in human society we are constantly exploiting other living things to get what we want. And Marcos does that. He exploits a living thing to get what he wants. Mm -hmm. I think he would have been totally happy with his weird farcical life with Jasmine, um, giving him a kid and giving him devotion like the puppy would do Mm -hmm. and all of those things because that's what Jasmine can comprehend, um, having not been treated like a human her whole life or living sentient thing, not even just a human, but just treated with any sort of respect. Um, But then... He sees an opportunity to bring his wife in and he sees, oh, that's what I want even more. This is my opinion of the ending. Mm -hmm. And so he is happy to exploit Jasmine for what he needs, sees a better deal, trades up in his opinion. And then, well, he can't have Jasmine around following him like a puppy, as he says, with that look of a domesticated animal, because he has given her some semblance of respect and and love and appreciation so yeah she's gonna look quote-unquote domesticated he's gotta slaughter her at the end of the day he got by by exploiting her he got everything that he wanted everything that he everything that in the in the moments pretty much immediately before the beginning of this book Mm -hmm. that he he wanted and he feel he felt he deserved. Right. We um we give Marcos this moral high ground because he doesn't eat people, but he is damn ready to exploit one for what he wants. He still works in the industry. There are plenty of other jobs, I am sure, that don't involve meat. I can kind of forgive him for working in the industry because I, he's got to support his dad. I can forgive him. I, I mean, again, those things are things that are not unforgivable forgivable necessarily yeah, yeah. I, but, I have some empathy there. but those are also but but his father and all of that those are also justifications yes it is and our life is full of justifications yeah it's it's not to say that you you can't have empathy for the situations people find themselves in and you know having to well i mean at one point he was supporting a wife a kid and his dad and it's, it's a lot but it's um it's definitely a justification but a, a lot of people have also from all sorts of different takeaways from the end of this book some people think that he lost his humanity. Some people think he never had it. There are people who've gone back and reread this book and then, you know, to try to find clues about Marcos. Um, 
yeah, and I mean it's um it's sad it's sad. You don't want Marcos to to be like them, but we know he's not a great person, so we shouldn't be shocked, right? It, we shouldn't be shocked, and it's interesting um, the way that that was particularly phrased right there is where um, he lost his humanity or he never had it. I think I think there's an argument to be made that he actually that is his humanity that's a lot of the things that are happening in this book yeah are not people losing their humanity it's not people succumbing to their humanity yeah it's it is the human condition Mm -hmm. and you know we adapt yeah we we take we accept and we take yeah yeah um uh, i go back to my man erlet (laughs) Starlet's like, I'm not trying to dress it up as anything it isn't. Like, I'm sure Marcos felt so vindicated because he just wanted a child back and he just wanted his family back. Well, and look at the way that he that he looks at um I don't know if he's ever named uh, the short one job applicant. Yeah. With this just disgust and disdain because um because the he's short fiendish. one is He's fiendish. Is, he is fiendish, but why in this world, why in this reality is he worse or why is Marco better mm-hmm. than this person? This person sees what is happening, yeah. um, recognizes the reality of what is happening, yeah. and just has a different emotional response. But at the end of the day, is he better or worse than you? No, oh, no, I wouldn't say so. But I just, um, he's he's disdainful when everyone else is being quote unquote respectable of the situation. It's not a respectable situation, but you know what I mean. He's saying the quiet part out loud. If you're going to, <laughs> I it, guess, if you're going to, like, it's it's one thing. It's one thing to say, like, oh, yeah, we ap- absolutely have empathy and understand why he would still be, why he would be working in the industry. Yeah. But you can't, you can't, you can't support and propagate mm-hmm. this thing that you are so disgusted by. Oh, yeah. And then judge someone for not being disgusted. Uh, get on your moral high horse. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. And I, I know that it is not the same. Let me put it out on record. <laughs> I know that it's not the same to eat humans and to eat non-humans. However, I personally believe that non-human animals are wonderful and worthy of life and worthy of having the best quality of life. Every living thing is. Every living thing should not have to experience fear and death and to be on a plate, is my opinion. Um, so it's... I- <sighs> So it's hard for me to imagine people getting up in arms about this, like, because it's eating humans when it's like, you're eating other beautiful, sentient things that want to love and be loved and live their life and have freedom. You know what I mean? It's It comes back down to, where is the line? Where is the line? Where is the moral line? And that line can exist in different places for different people. And that's okay. I think, too, a lot of Sergio, his friend who's the stunner. Yes. He's put his daughter to college and he's given this wonderful life for his family. And again, he's pretty upfront about what he's doing. He, too. he is upfront about what he's doing. And he's on an Erlet level. And you know, and they are friends, yeah. but Marco is disgusted by him too. He's, yes, dis- he he's disgusted by everyone. Yes, he is. And he has no, he's lost. And every, he has he's no, lost everything. 
he doesn't have a leg to stand on. He doesn't have that right to judge other people. He doesn't have a leg to stand on because somebody ate it. I'm sorry. I couldn't. Yeah, it's a, this is a wonderful novel because it it opens up so much conversation. Oh, and I oh, and I talked about how there's there this book challenges you. There's one scene in particular. Um, it's actually at the wake, and they're describing the arm and the way that it's been cooked and braised. And there was a moment where I said, oh, I thought that sounds delicious. Ah! And that's what I mean. Like, there's, there, are, there are sex scenes in this that are disgusting, but... Familiar. But familiar. Yes. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to be thinking anything like this right now. Right. I don't want to actually... I don't want the recipe for yeah. arm of special meat. <laughs> Uh, and it does. It's she does such a great job of creating those little challenges, yeah, and just poke at your head and say, "Hey, yeah. hey, you're going. You're not just going to read this. You're going to address this yeah. personally." Um, the uh, lastly, I don't want to forget to mention her. Um, his friend with the butcher shop too. Friend, I don't know what yeah. they are. Um, I mean, she's cu- she's hacking it up. She's like, oh, this is like the cheap special meat over here. And then he, here's the prime cuts. And we do have to kind of rename things to make it more palatable to people. It's, I can absolutely see where his father is like. <laughs> I'm out. He just, kind of, like, he, I, I think he really does have dementia, but I think he really leaned into it because the world has gone fucking mad. And he's like, I can't be a part of this. I am going to disassociate into another world because i think that is what i would do i would be in a cabin in the forest eating berries and pretending that none of this is happening (laughs) that's where i'd be except the thing is if that if if we did that we would be on a plate yeah we would somebody be like oh great free meat out there special meat Oh my gosh, Augustina, thank you for birthing this novel into the world. You are brilliant. Not my favorite phrasing in this case. Well, <laughs> that's how it that's how the cookie crumbles. That is how the cookie crumbles. Um love it. Absolutely passionate about the ideas and the discussions that comes from this book. Um I hope we can get to a point in our society where no one eats living things. And no living things have to suffer to be on another person's plate. Um, yeah, I, I I can't say enough about this book. It's one of the best things I've ever read in my life. So it gets all my stars. I am giving this book 24 ribs out of 24. It is. Wait, don't. Didn't Adam give his rib? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. 23 out of 23. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I um. This book is incredibly powerful. I think it does so much that is obvious and so much that is not. It's worthy of rereading. It's worthy of treating as literature. Hey, this is this is assigned reading at 15 years old in high school. We don't necessarily believe in assigned reading here at Genre Junkies, but my point still stands. Right. If it's going to be assigned, we think assign this. Yeah, this... You know, instead of, uh, um, actually, I like Of Mice and Men, so let me think of a different one. On the Road. <laughs> How about just instead of something written by a white man? <laughs> <laughs> 
Ding, ding, ding. Just take, close your eyes, pick a white man book, toss it over your shoulder. There's so many options. And just slip Tender is the Flesh right in there. Perfect. Thank you all so much for joining us. Um, Here's to a better tomorrow. (laughs) I've been Sandra. I've been Scott. Please keep reading past your bedtime. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.